Today on Media Download, from Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Curated by your host, Meryl Brown. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm your host, Meryl Brown, Director of the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. With our regular podcast, every week we hope to give you some of the most current and best insights into media and technology issues. On this episode, uh, just days from the New York primary, I'm joined by Mark Green, New York City's first public advocate and author or editor of 23 books, the latest being Next Month's Bright Infinite Future, a generational memoir on the progressive rise. It can be pre-ordered today at Amazon and available on May 3. Mark is joining us to discuss the upcoming New York primaries next week. Mark was twice elected public advocate and was the New York City Consumer Affairs Commissioner. Mark ran for mayor of the city of New York, won the Democratic nomination in 2001, only to lose to Michael Bloomberg 50-48 to in one of the closest mayoral races in New York history. Uh, that election day, by the way, was on 9-11, and there's a long story there, which perhaps we'll discuss with Mark today a bit. Uh, his landmark book, Who Runs Congress, was written uh, during a decade-long collaboration Mark had with Ralph Nader, during which Mark became director of Congress Watch. Today, he hosts a nationally syndicated radio show, Both Sides Now, recorded in New York and featuring rotating panelists from across the ideological spectrum, a uh, list that includes people like Arianna Heffington and Mary Madeline. Mark has appeared on CNN, New York One, MSNBC, and many more outlets discussing politics and current affairs. We're glad to have him on the line today to discuss the New York primaries. Welcome, Mark. It's great to have you. Great to be with you, Merrill. I've known you 33 years, and I'm sure there'll be a 34th. <laughs> well, we'll see after this podcast. No, just kidding. Um, so, right. so, Mark, we're in an extraordinary moment where a New York primary um, means more than it has in a long time. Share with us your both historic and current view of how meaningful that is. Well, it's historically interesting. Uh, there's never been uh, a, a primary contest this close, this far down, between possible uh, New York nominees, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, not to mention, in a sense, of course, Bernie Sanders. More recently, uh, it hasn't mattered because both parties have tried to figure out had to have a nominee early enough so that he could unite his party uh, for the fall election. Um, in 1992, there's an eerie parallel. A candidate named Clinton was heavily favored, lost in the prior New York primary, that was in Connecticut, and came wounded into New York, uh, where if he lost, uh, he might have blown the whole thing, but if he won, he would secure the nomination. And then uh, Governor Bill Clinton uh, really took the wood to Governor Jerry Brown and uh, won the, uh, the primary and the nomination. And uh, his wife now, you did know they're married, right, Merrill? I did know that. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 you know. um, so Hillary, of course, of course uh, lost Wisconsin and has a big delegate lead. But if she wins New York handily, uh, there's almost no stopping her for the nomination. If she loses New York, it's at 
best an embarrassment, at worst, a more competitive primary. And t- tell us how Bill Clinton pulled that off and what your insider sense of that was. Well, this is going to be immodest, but I, I can only describe it as it was written accurately in a forthcoming book. Of course, it's my memoir, so you can take that for what it's worth. Um, I was friends with Bill Clinton when he was governor. got to know him through my friend, the late, <clears throat> great Sandy Berger, later the uh, NSC chair. And so I sort of helped Clinton uh, from between 88 and 92, some in New York. When he lost Connecticut, his campaign called me that night. I was in the Consumer Affairs Commission of New York and said, whoa, any suggestions on how we could start in New York? And I said to Harold Ickes, you bet. Let's stand in front of a H&R block that was one then at <clears throat> Stuyvesant Town on about 1st and 18th. And let's attack Brown because he's for a regressive anti-New York flat tax, which helps wealthier people uh, but not working people and poor people. They agreed. Ten hours later, I'm standing in front of ten cameras introducing Governor Bill Clinton. He then just reams out Jerry Brown on the tax. He calls it Jerry's anti-New York tax. He stays on that issue for two weeks, among others, because New York is not always congenial to a, you know, a smooth-talking southern accent. But we now know Bill Clinton was an extraordinary uh, public talent. And he wins by 11 points, and uh, there's no stopping him then. Uh, the issues this time are different. Uh, this time it's uh, Bernie Sanders, who by definition is sort of the insurgent and is not taking any positions that are really hostile to New York other than perhaps his uh, his gun control approach. So obviously, uh, similarly obviously, uh, Bernie Sanders has this public fascination with him that is going to result in massive rallies, apparently, the likes of which New York City hasn't seen around politicians in recent years, and a level of energy and enthusiasm that's carried him to this vast number of wins in recent primaries. And it feels like the streets of New York are reflecting that at some level. On the other hand, his opponent is heavily favored. What do you, how do you assess the chances of Sanders actually pulling this off? Very remote. <clears throat> Hillary Clinton is a, should win by 10 to 15 based on everything I know and precedent in New York. Look, you've got to love Bernie Sanders in one respect, even if you're a Republican. First, um, He's been saying the same thing for 40 years, so he obviously believes it. In that way, he's a mirror image of Ronald Reagan, who gave the same speech for 30 years, and then in 1980 it worked. Uh, Second, filling arenas is hard and impressive as hell from Eugene Debs when he five times ran for president to Ralph Nader in 2000 when he would charge people and get 20,000 people at Madison Square Garden. To Trump now, obviously, and Bernie Sanders, it's no small accomplishment. And third, um, if I took a blind taste test, Merrill, and I wasn't told the name of the experience or the personality of uh, Clinton and Sanders, I'd probably vote for Sanders based purely on his agenda. However, it's unarguable, I think, that Hillary Clinton, in terms of experience, temperament, uh, judgment, um, uh, and support is a far, projects to be a far more likely nominee president 
a successful president. And as much as I like Bernie Sanders, I mean, the history is he's been a kind of cranky loner um, in the Senate. No comparison between him and Hillary Clinton uh, in, in the Senate. Um, and, and finally, there is a really close parallel in my mind, I'm old enough to remember, um, between uh, Clinton-Sanders and Mondale Hart. Uh, for those of you who are under 30, Walter Mondale, former vice president, almost like a New York candidate, against Gary Hart, a kind of Warren Beatty, handsome uh, insurgent from the state of Colorado. Mondale comes into New York with the support of another Governor Cuomo, nearly all of labor, almost all minority public officials, almost all Latino and black public officials, nearly all of labor. Well, that's just about all the institutional support you need. And he beat a very attractive challenge from Gary Hart, who won New Hampshire. He won by 19 points. And um, Hillary Clinton is Mondale Plus, plus upstate in Long Island, uh, which, you know, might go for a, a new face, know her, they're familiar with her, they like her, uh, from her eight years in the Senate, not to mention her years in the White House. So I think she has a prohibitive advantage unless something collapses. S similarly, and, you know, it's an astonishing set of circumstances historically, isn't it? Similarly, another New Yorker, a Republican, uh, is also expected to win uh, his primary handily, Donald Trump. You have any particular read on that? And tell us whatever you'd like about your history with Donald Trump. I will not be sending back the $4,500. He actually contributed to me in 2001. <laughs> not because he loved me, I suspect. I mean, he thought um, at one time he, I, I'd be the next mayor. And so, you know, that he admitted, and that's his charm, he admits to his corruption. Like right now he's saying, oh, the whole system is rigged, uh, money's in control, and no one can buy me. While he implicitly and explicitly acknowledges that when he used to give money to people, he'd, he'd expect to control them. Talk about uh, the golden rule of politics, he was the golden rules. Look, um, I can't tell people more about Trump than what they see with their own eyes. He is a historically, he's a, a unicorn. There has never been a person who both lack the public credentials to be a nominee or president. Every one is just about been a senator, a governor, a congressperson, a general who won a war. Um, uh, with one exception, there was one businessman in 1940 on the Republican uh, side. But he is such a fabulous a blend, a bulworth, a bunker, uh, remember Howard Beale and Network, that... Um, he, he is incredibly entertaining, and one-third of the Republican base, um, to quote Barney Frank, we may not be perfect, but they're nuts. <laughs> Barney Frank is an uh, exquisitely eloquent Democrat, because one-third of the Republican base, you know, they, uh, they think that the American president is not a president, is not an American, rather. Uh, climate change is a hoax. Of reverse racism is worse than racism, on and on. And they don't much care about detail or policy. They just care about agenda, but attitude. So he has them locked up. If I can just one more sentence. He, he also, Merrill, has the advantage of not only being 
unarguably a big New York personality, kind of like a the Billy Martin um, or Curtis Slewa or Rudy Giuliani type personality. Um, but he's running against someone who is designed to fail in New York. I mean, a computer, if asked, give me the worst possible Republican, would spit out a Texan in ta- cowboy boots who insults New Yorkers and is not a moderate Republican like Pataki um, or a D'Amato, but as a reactionary Republican, the most conservative ever to seek the presidency, according to 538.com. Uh, that's uh, that is uh, both cur- interesting and uh, and sobering. Uh, let me let's be a little sociological for a minute, Mark. Uh, there is a body of thought in the media that says both Sanders and Trump tap into a dissatisfaction with the status quo that has parallels. You buy that? Mm, half. Look, if the analysis is top down, there's some parallel because. Trump, ironically, and Sanders, authentically, are saying that the top 1%, the top 0.001% have rigged our democracy and our economy, and it's time the rest of us spoke up. And that's kind of populism. I mean, left populism seems more authentic, but there's a kind of right populism that Trump, maybe Pat Buchanan in his day, represented. But if you're looking on it, on a horizontal analysis, left-right, well, I mean, Trump may sound like he's for the average guy. When was the last time Trump invited the average guy to play golf or have dinner with him? He's a complete elitist. He has nothing in common with him. Bernie Sanders is not a rich guy. He, you know, he hangs around with people of all income and racial categories. He's the real deal. And so, um, and of course, Sanders is all for affirmative action and uh, at least a 53% top rate on taxes, you know, not 25% like, uh, um, like Trump is. So ideologically, there are opposites, but in terms of populism, some overlap. But 90% of Sanders supporters, however upset they are now about that, that terrible conservative Hillary Clinton, when you ask them this question November 1st, they'll be for her. Briefly, Mark, we only have a little bit of time left here. So I guess that means you don't take seriously the never Hillary thing articulated on national TV most recently that I saw by Susan Sarandon, who said she would never vote for Hillary. I assume you don't buy that as a political threat. Um, she didn't quite say that. She said... She'd have to see what, if, and then the question was asked of her by Chris Hayes. Well, what if it's Trump Hillary? And then she said, "Well, well, you know, let's see. Maybe I'll oppose Hillary because it, it'll bring on the revolution, and things will get better after it gets worse." This is completely um, sophomoric. Susan Sarandon is a brilliant actress and a brilliant person. And I just think she was reflecting the order that you get when it's, you know, skins and shirts, our team versus their team. Um, if it's Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump or, or Ted Cruz, you know, anyone really with a brain who's a progressive will vote for Hillary Clinton because she is a progressive, though maybe not as leftish 
as uh, Bernie Sanders. Thank you, Mark. I, you know, I think we're out of time. Uh, it should be a very interesting uh, week ahead of us before the April 19th primary. Uh, enjoy the political spotlights on New York. It rarely happens. So enjoy it, and thank you well, for joining th- us. Thank you. It's great for radio, like both sides now and for you. Excellent. Um, if you'd like more information about this episode of Media Download, you can email us at gm at wmscradio.com or call us at 973-655-3135. I'm Merrill Brown. Thanks for listening.